Long thought to be the tallest mountain in the world, and only a thousand feet shorter than Mount Everest, Kangchenjunga, the world's third tallest mountain, is a titan in its own right. The facade of the mountain is colossal and wide, containing 16 peaks all above 7,000 feet. It's almost like a wall of ice cutting through the top of the sky, and local myths about hidden treasures, valleys that grant immortality, and monstrous yeti-like demons shroud Kangchenjunga with an ineffable air of mystery. You're listening to Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia, episode 78, Kangchenjunga. This episode is part of a larger series about the world's tallest mountains, which we first began in episode 17 about Mount Everest, and later discussing K2, Aconcagua, Kilimanjaro, and Olympus Mons. All right, Race, getting to know you question for today is, if you were to go back to college and you had to pick a different major, what would you choose? <sighs> so... And for, for our new listeners, by the way, tenured listeners already know this, but new <laughs> listeners, we both majored in English. You Wait. may find that easy to recognize as you become more familiar with the podcast, but yeah, we and, were both and, English majors. And we have mentioned it a couple of times. We have <laughs> mentioned it a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> Comes up a lot. Um, so I really loved being an English major and I would do it again. But if I had to pick a different one, um, I think I would probably do international relations mm. or something along those lines. Um, okay. I, I really like, um, yeah, that, that just really interests me. It's not something I think I would have thought of at the time, but like, I think there's really cool work to be done there. And I think that, um, there are cool careers that people have that I've, you know, now gotten to know people who work in. I got a, a close friend in law school who worked for the State Department um, before coming to law school, and he had really cool things to say about that. And so um, I think international relations would be really cool. Um, and particularly, like, we've had a, you know, a love of Guatemala stamped into us. And so that was kind of a cool way of entering that world and seeing, like, oh, yeah, there's um, just, like, knowing that there's people who my job is the relationship between um, the United States and Guatemala, like cultural exchange yeah. and like, you know, how can we support X that's happening in Guatemala? Like that's just an interesting thing that you probably don't think about happening. Um, again, I'm kind of mostly referring to like the state department, um, but that's, that's cool. You know, that's, that would be neat to have like kind of an area of the world that you were really passionate about. I've met people that way who are like, again, another friend in law school who just was obsessed with, uh, the Middle East. He was learning Arabic in his spare time. And he's like, I just love everything about it. I know everything about it. And that'd be kind of cool to get like a little kind of speciality and work, you know, in the relationships between countries. That'd be neat. So I'd pick international relations, I think. That's really cool. Yeah. And I, like you said, I never really considered that, but I think that knowledge goes a lot further than you would think it does. Like just mm. the virtue of knowing something about guatemala and being from the united states it's like well you're already primed to yeah 
work in that field, you know, as an ambassador yeah. or whatever. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, I also, same answer here where if I was to go back, I would do exactly what I already did. I studied English and economics and I was ended, ended up being really happy with that choice. I thought um, that was a nice thing for me to do. If I had to pick a different major, I guess there's no surprises here, but I would probably pick history. Mm -hmm. um, although the thing that I really appreciated about the English major is it's kind of a history major. For sure, yeah. <laughs> Combining <laughs> literature and history. And yeah. so, um, you know, if you were, I don't know what the history major is like. I don't know if you have to pick a, a track like early on and say, I'm going to limit myself <laughs> to this certain region of the world in this time period or maybe you learn all history i don't really know but uh, i could read about history forever yeah yeah all right so for our episode today we are going back in the vault really we are digging up an old series that we have not touched in actually 50 plus episodes wow <laughs> so i'm really excited to get back into it and that is our series on the world's tallest mountains mm. and earlier on in this series we talked about mount everest we talked about k2 we even talked about olympus mons um but today we we, we will be revisiting this series which essentially could go on forever right as long as we have a mountain to talk about <laughs> And today we'll be talking about Kangchenjunga, which is the third tallest mountain in the world, the tallest mountain um, in India, and the third, or excuse me, the second tallest mountain in the country of Nepal. But before we talk about the mountain itself, we want to dig into the country of Nepal and learn a little bit more about what Nepal is, where it is, what's going on over there. And I have to say at this point, um, I don't really know anything about Nepal, <laughs> even though I've read a bunch about the Himalayan mountains. All I really know about it is it's the place where the mountains are. <laughs> so I'm excited to learn some more. Well, I can tell you about Nepal. Um, it's funny. I, I think my brain works. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, is this how most people process the world? And I don't think it is. Um, but I often have weird little touchstones that like that's how I make connections in my brain. I'm a very um, visual learner and I, I have a pretty good memory. And so I have lots of like little, anyway, little weird trigger words. When I hear Nepal, the first thing I think of every time is um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana huh. Jones movie. And there's a scene, I mean, it's not important at all, but there's a scene where um, Indiana Jones tracks down uh, Marianne Ravenwood and in Nepal, and he appears in the door and she says, Indiana Jones, what are you doing in Nepal? And any, anytime I hear that word, like somebody mentions, you know, the country Nepal, I'm, if you watch my mouth, I'm over in the corner, like, what are you doing <laughs> in Nepal? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I, I have weird little connections like that to lots of stuff. So, um, so that's the first fact about Nepal. It's mentioned in Indiana Jones and uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. But more importantly, Nepal is a landlocked country in South Asia. So if you kind of picture all of Asia, just very, very generally, everything, you know, from 
very generally from Italy over to Australia and up to uh, Russia, kind of that half of the world. Um, I think one of the most kind of outstanding features is India, kind of is pointy, triangly down into uh, the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. And so if you can kind of picture that, um, India is, you know, roughly kind of diamondy shaped, I guess. And then directly above India, um, India runs into China. And sandwiched between those two, very large, very powerful, and often not terribly harmonious countries is Nepal. So it only touches those two countries. It almost touches um, Bangladesh and it almost touches um, uh, other countries, but it's it's technically sandwiched between these two countries. And it's almost a perfect, um, or as far as you know, lines on a map go, it's a very rectangular little country, just kind of like a little rectangle between China and um, India. And it's um, not only small compared to its two huge neighbors, um, it's pretty small on a global scale. Um, And for reference, the entirety of Nepal would fit into the state of Florida. Oh, wow. So it's a pretty small country um, in the grand scheme of things. And yet inside that small country, just 56,000 square miles, um, eight of the world's tallest 10 mountains are found. Wow. So um, it's can you imagine if eight of the tallest mountains in the world were in Florida, right? That would be mm-hmm. a very peak dense little place. And that is, in fact, exactly what Nepal is. It's very peak dense right there um, in the Himalayas. And so um, it's kind of where Nepal is. One of the fascinating things that I've learned um, recently. So I'm on a quest to memorize the flags of the world. Ah. And yeah, it's been kind of a fun adventure, Um, probably in no small part inspired by the fact that you, Tyler, know all of the world capitals. And I think that's I think that's so cool. And I kind of think of it like almost like I could never do that. But then I started thinking about it and it was like I could learn if I just take some time and do a little bit of study, I could do it. And yeah, so I wait, no, I, I kind of want to talk shop about this. Like, I want to know how, what's your system? Are you okay. going in a certain order? Um, so, uh, yeah, I do have a system. Um, I'm actually here on my laptop. I've got it pulled up. So um, there is a website that I use that has like a very simple map quiz game. Oh, And that okay. was the best way that I kind of found to do it. Um, and this all started because I saw a video, you know, one that everyone's probably seen or similar where it's like, what is this country on a map, you know, and people are kind of bad at it. Or what is this flag? I'll, you know, it's like some gimmicky YouTube video. I'll give you $50 for every flag you can identify. And I realized like, man, I'm not very good at this. So it started off identifying the countries of the world on a map, which as of this week, I can successfully identify every country on, in the world. Can you really? I oh can't. And I'm very proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I learned, did that through the website. So the website is actually GeoGuessr. Oh, I was going to say Sporkle. That's what I used was oh, okay. uh, Sporkle to do the capitals. But it, yeah. it does the capitals um, by pointing on the map. So as a result, you learn where they are as well. Cool. Yeah, really cool. So yeah, I use um, GeoGuessr. There's like a set of games um, oh, cool. named Satera. And they do it by region. And so I started um, with Europe. I was like, I want to be able to identify Uh, the countries and maps of Europe. So I can do all of the countries. And currently, I can identify the maps of 
North America, South America, Europe, Africa, and um, that's it. I can't do Asia yet, and I can't do like the island nation. I was gonna ask if you could do the islands. I think those are the hardest. Yeah. To get like, oh, it's so tough. Well, and you just don't have a frame of reference. Like, if There's somebody no frame says of reference. Yeah. Italy or India or China, it's like I generally know where that is, kind of what it's close to, and what its shape is. Yeah. But if you're like, what about Vanuatu? It's like, ah, it's in the ocean, man. And that's yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's so. Yeah. And sometimes it's next to nothing. It's just in exactly. the water, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it's completely has like no context for it. Like, yeah. oh, yeah. Okay. It's kind of near the Middle East. I get it. It's like, no, no, no. This is right. just out in the ocean, you know? The Solomon Islands. Okay, sure. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyways, that's been a fun little adventure. And the flag of Nepal um, is actually one of the few that I sat down and had all of the world maps in front of me on my computer screen. I was like, well, I know that that one is Nepal. And the reason is that Nepal is the world's only non-quadrilateral flag. Ah. Uh-huh. And so um, can you picture the flag of Nepal in your mind, Tyler? I can because I knew this superlative and I've looked at it before. It's like, uh, I think it's like two triangles, one on top of the other, right? Correct. And it's red. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it's two uh, two triangles. And it's the only one that's, um, and when I found that superlative non-quadrilateral, I was like, well, I think they, you know, I was going to write it in just to, to say here on the podcast, non-rectangle. But then, of course, I reflected on the maps that I, or the flags that I'm learning. And um, not all flags are, you know, Nepal's an obvious example, but not all flags, even the ones that we think of as being flaggy shaped, um, are shaped the same. Oh, I didn't realize that. I would have mm-hmm. thought they were all rectangles. Well, there is a Wikipedia page called the Aspect Ratio of the World's Flags. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it's actually pretty interesting. So let me I'll give you a quiz. And this is unfair because I've been like rigorously studying the world's flags. But. Can you think of any flags that have a one-to-one aspect ratio, meaning they're a perfect square, not, you know, longer on one side than the other, but same Uh, on all sides? All I've got is Switzerland. Correct. Is that a square with the cross? There we go. Okay. Yeah, it's a perfect. Yeah, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have realized that until you pressed me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Switzerland is perfectly square. It's got the, if you have a Swiss army knife, you know, the little red square yeah, with a okay. white a white um you know equal armed cross inside of it and vatican city also has a um, a oh, one-to-one okay. aspect ratio i think the most common like if you sat down and drew a flag you would think it's this shaped which is one to two aspect ratio so oh, okay it is you know if it's one foot tall then it's two feet wide or long that's what ours is well that's what the uk's is Um, The U.S., of course, because we have to be difficult. It's wonky, yeah. (laughs) Instead of 1 to 2, it's 10 to 19 or 1 to 1.9. Oh, it's just a little off. Just a little bit shorter. And if you go through the world's flags, a lot of them are 1 to to 2 or something like that. Um, But the U.S. is kind of funky. Others are a little bit funky and... um, yeah, it's kind of cool. Go take a gander sometime at the flag of um, Qatar, Qatar, however you want to pronounce it. Oh, okay. It's the longest um, f- aspect ratio flag. So it's like 1 to 2.6 or something like that. Oh, okay. So um, that's when you're memorizing the world's flags. It's like, oh, yeah, Qatar's is the long, skinny one. 
But wow, um, okay. the most interesting one that I found, if you type in to- the flag of Togo, so Togo is a small um, nation in the kind of crook of Africa on its um, western coast. And the flag of Togo, its aspect ratio is one to a Greek symbol. Oh, okay. And the symbol is for the golden ratio. Whoa. And so I won't take us <laughs> down too far of a, of, a, um, of a rabbit hole on flags. I've already done it too far, but it's the, the golden ratio symbol is like a circle with a slash through it. Wow. And so it looks basically like any other flag, but it's technically it's 1.618. Okay. Um, anyway, super fascinating. So that's world's flags um, and how, where Nepal stands. So, yeah, they've got a, a very different flag, um, which sets it apart. But it's also unique in, in several other ways. Um, one kind of makes me want to pull my hair out, and I will tell it to you <laughs> now. There are seven <laughs> provinces in Nepal. Okay. Sure. You go Nepal. Three of them have names. Four of them have numbers. <laughs> um, that alone, no thank you. Is deranged. <laughs> like name them all or number them all. I kind of like numbering. Like what if it was like, what state are you from? And you were like 34. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm from state 11. So I kind of like numbering. It's a, it's a simple, you know, elegant in that way system. Um, but three of them have names, which I won't try and uh, pronounce. But the other four are called, brace yourself, Province 1, Province 2, Province 3, and Province 5. Oh, no. <laughs> How dare you, Nepal? That is, it's almost as bad as if you remember in our episode about um, Voyager spacecraft. Voyager 2 launched before Voyager 1. Oh, Oh, that so it's was like, a- at that point, just call it Voyager 1 if you send yeah. it out <laughs> But I looked into it a little bit, and the reason the provinces are so named is because they were all numbers at one point. Um, so there was a number four at one point. There was then, a four, okay. And then it was just named something, and they were like, well, we'll just stick with the system. We have. Oh, no. That's um, funny. Anyway, so Nepal, excellent mountains, not my favorite uh, province naming system. The capital is Kathmandu, um, which you might have heard um, of before. And um, Nepal is, has some interesting geography. Obviously, it's got these unbelievable mountains. But um, if you looked at Nepal like a cross section, if Nepal was a cake sitting on the uh, table in front of you and you cut a slice, like a, you know, a perfect slice right out of the center of Nepal and looked at it, it would be ultra, ultra, ultra skinny for a really long time and then ultra thick at the very end. Hmm. So Nepal in its southern reaches down near India is actually um, at certain points, it's like 70 meters above sea level. Oh, so it's, okay. it's very low elevation. And then whoop, all the ways up to literally Mount Everest. And so um, to the tops of the Himalayas. So it has one of the highest um elevation disparities in the world because of that Hmm. and um the its layout in that sense and its position between china and india led it um throughout history to be one of the only nations in this part of the world that was never colonized It it was invaded 
and it was um, conquered and all of that, but it was never colonized. And it's, I think, in some reason, similar to Guatemala. So Guatemala, um, as you and you and I spent time in the highlands of Guatemala, which were kind of unconquerable by the conquistadors because they were so rugged and so high and just out of the way and difficult to maneuver that they, the people who lived there just kind of got left alone, leaving, you know, the culture relatively preserved um, to the point that you, Tyler, speak Sutuil, a language that only exists in the highlands of Guatemala. Such languages existed all over El Salvador and Honduras and Panama and, you know, everywhere. But most of them were wiped out by the conquistadors because Panama is mostly flat and Guatemala isn't. And so those mountainous regions protected um, from invaders. And a sort of similar thing happened with um, with Nepal, which is interesting. I mean, it's literally the highest mountains in the world. And people live up at shockingly high altitudes, as we've discussed in other episodes on this um, in this series, talking about um, about Everest specifically. People live at you know dizzying elevations and so those people were basically just never conquered because of that so that's Mm -hmm. um super interesting as far as the history of nepal there's you know obviously entire phds will be awarded on that subject so i i just two things that i will mention very briefly um the first is that nepal is thought to be one of the earliest um have some of the earliest evidence of human life outside of africa so this would have been one of kind of like the earliest um, sort of wombs of civilization was this area. And it's actually, if you've ever heard of the Indus Valley civilization. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of one of the earliest known um, civilizations of, of, of humankind. And prehistoric Nepal was peopled by people from the Indus Valley civilization um, from that oh. culture. And so we're kind of we're talking about very old, um, very old area of the world, sort of like when we discussed Tanzania. Um, yeah. And it sort of being like a cradle of civilization. We're, we're in similar territory here with some of it, you know, going back dizzying amounts of time. Um, the other thing that I will add is that um, while, of course, it didn't exist as what we realize, um, consider to be Nepal today, but. Um, the Buddha was born in what is now Nepal. Oh, that, okay. Yeah, that is somewhat disputed. Like people are like, well, we think it was. And, you know, there weren't great records. We don't actually know exactly what year the Buddha was born. But um, by and I'm the, sure Tibet wants to claim him, right? Like, I, yeah, there, I actually think it's India that says, well. Oh, India. Okay. You know, it actually looks like he, he spent most of his early life in India. And so very fascinating. But um, oh. but by Buddhist traditions and by, you know, quite a few, quite a consensus, it seems like um, the Buddha was born in Nepal, close to the Indian border, although he spent most of his early life um, in India, he died in India. But um, in that sense, it's also kind of the cradle of Buddhism. And Buddhism continues to be an important, um, although not the dominant um, religion in Nepal. But Nepal is just a fascinating place. I mean, it's got the world's tallest mountains. It also has these like sea level plains and um, you can spot its flag. You can pick its flag out of the entire lineup of the whole world. And um, it contains uh, the mountain that we're talking about today. (laughs) 
So now we come to the mountain located in Nepal, which is the third tallest mountain in the world, second tallest mountain of Nepal, and the first tallest mountain in India because it's on the border. And that mountain is Kanchenjunga. It's located on the border of Nepal and India. And it's just about 28,000 feet high. It's a little bit higher than that which we've talked so many times about the heights in this series about the mountains. <laughs> and every time I'm just like, I can't even fathom how tall this is. Um, but climbing 28,000 feet would require you to essentially climb 2,800 flights of stairs or wow. take an elevator to the 28. 100th floor <laughs> <laughs> so it's way beyond anything that we can imagine in the architectural world and the difference by the way between the three tallest mountains everest k2 and kanchenjunga kind of just seems negligible when you get into these heights because everest is at twenty nine thousand. K2 is somewhere in between the two. And it's like, you know what? What's an extra thousand feet at this point? <laughs> to me, they're all just very tall. Until 1852, Kangchenjunga was thought to be the tallest mountain in the world. And that's curious because um, at the time, the mountains had not been surveyed in the great trigonometric survey that came along and measured all those mountains. And... Kanchenjunga, if you can go see it, looks very tall by itself. Hmm. Whereas Everest is kind of tucked away back behind some mountains. I don't even know that people really knew about Everest for a very long time. Um, and so that's why people thought Kanchenjunga was the tallest mountain in the world. Yeah. Until they came along and measured it and they figured out they're very close, but Everest is taller. <laughs> Yeah, Kachinjunga has going on for it, what we've talked about before. It, it looks nice. Yeah. You look it, at it and you're like, that's a tall mountain. It's so, right, uh-huh, very picturesque. It was first climbed in 1955 by two men named Joe Brown and George Band. But when they reached the top of the mountain, they stopped climbing some distance away from the summit. And that was meant to keep a promise that they had given to the monarch of the region, which they promised that the top of the mountain would remain untouched. Well, that's and that nice. is a tradition that all climbers who have summited Kanchenjunga have followed. So in theory, those snows have never been stepped on, which wow. is kind of nice, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's very uh, sacred in a way that, Everest doesn't seem to get. We've talked a lot before about um, the kind of commercialization of the Everest mountain and how yeah. that has unfortunately just like led to the region being crowded and trampled on, you know? Right. Kangchenjunga, if you look at it, is very wide. There's a beautiful panorama on Wikipedia that at this point, I wish we could show on our Instagram account, but Instagram requires you to crop to a square. <laughs> and so we can't show exactly what that looks like, but you have to go look at it because it's so stunning to see it all widespread. The massif of Kangchenjunga has 16 different peaks that are all above 7,000 meters tall. Hmm. And there are five in particular that stick out prominently in the facade. So if you look at it, you can kind of see five of the tallest. 
And this is where the mountain gets its name. Kangchenjunga in Tibetan means the five treasures of the high snow. Hmm. And so that's referring to the five peaks. And when they say treasures, that also refers to a myth about the mountain, which local people believe, which is that the mountain contains hidden treasures. They are hidden underneath the surface of the mountain, but that the mountain itself will reveal these treasures to the devout when the world is in peril. Oh. And the treasures include things like salt, gold, turquoise, sacred scriptures, invincible armor, weapons, grain, and medicine, which wow. is a very wide range of treasure. I'm like, oh, they covered all the bases there. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh -huh. The area around the mountain is a national park and it's designated as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And this area is home to several striking endangered species, um, very um, charismatic animals. So if you look up pictures of like a snow leopard that's endemic mm -hmm. to this region, there's also a bear called the Asian black bear, which is sometimes called the moon bear because it's all black, but on its chest, it has a white moon shape in the fur. Mm. Uh, red pandas live in this region. Also the chestnut breasted partridge. And I'd never heard of this one before, but a blood pheasant, which is a mm. type of pheasant that has deep striking red feathers. Very, oh. very beautiful. Summiting Kanchenjunga, you can take one of four routes. There are three of these routes that start in Nepal and one that starts in India. But the Indian government banned summiting in 2000. So the route is, the route is closed and it's over, only ever been completed three times in its history. Most of the other completions have happened from the other routes. Um, as peaceful and idyllic as we have been talking about this mountain, it is nevertheless extremely dangerous. And I would say it's as dangerous as any other thing, which is 28,000 feet in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Only a few hundred people have ever climbed this mountain compared to thousands who have climbed Everest. That has to do also with just the popularity of Everest. Mm -hmm. But 20% of climbers who attempt Kanchenjunga die in their attempts to reach the summit so no. it's no joke you know yeah, that's not good odds it's not good odds and it's just so it's like you can't even believe how dangerous it is because when you look at it it's like well it's so pretty <laughs> you know? right like, yeah. how could something that pretty be so dangerous and the answer is it's tall <laughs> um in nepal the mountain is kind of in a remote location and in india the mountain is really difficult to get to so as a result, the whole area has very little tourism and it has retained much of its pristine beauty. And we'll just close here with a reference to some of the many myths about this mountain. And that's the cool thing about Kangchengjunga is it has a lot of lore and legends that local people believe. We've already talked about the treasures that are hidden in the mountain. Uh, locals also believe that there is a valley of immortality that is hidden on the slopes and which is such a beautiful idea. I'm like, that is such a neat way of like, it's like a fountain of youth, except it's a Valley. 
Yeah. Uh, in the 1960s, there was a Tibetan Lama. I think that's the title of a priest in Buddhism. I'm not sure. Um, but he led over 300 followers into the mountain to open the way to the valley, which in Tibetan is called Beyul Demoshang, and that's the Valley of Immortality. Wow. There's also a myth that there is a mountain deity that lives on the mountain that you can see. This is referred to as Zhongga or the Kangchenjunga demon. And it is supposed to be a Yeti or a Rakshasa. So in 1925, a British expedition was climbing on the mountain and they saw a creature that was walking on two feet and they asked the locals, what is this? And the locals responded unanimously, that's the Kangchenjunga demon. Wow. Very spooky. So it's Kangchenjunga. Yeah. Well, it strikes me as like, so I, as we've discussed before, I am not the type who's going to go climb Mount Everest. <laughs> um, but if I were, I kind of think I would want to do, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if how popular it is, it, how many people are in the mindset of like, well, I'm going to go climb Kanchenjunga instead of Everest or like, I don't know. It just, maybe that's like, hipster mountain climbers no like that, that i think this is exactly what i would do if if yeah. it was me and if i did have the ability to do this i would be like oh everest is played out you yeah know, we don't want to throw any more trash on the mountainside of everest you know we don't want to wait in line at the top to take a picture yeah i would want to do this one and that's the cool thing especially that all climbers have followed the promise of not touching the top. I think that's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, it just seems like this and some of the other mountains that we've discussed, um, like would hold a little bit more allure. I mean, if you just have to say I've climbed Mount Everest, but like, if you can, cause that is impressive, right? If you're, if you can say, well, one of the things I've done is I've climbed Mount Everest, but if you can just have somebody's attention for 10 more seconds, say, yeah, but no, no, no. I climbed, Kanchenjunga and let me tell you why that's cool I feel like you can make the case like it's basically the same height right yeah basically the same height and but there's other cool things about it like you know only um you know how many did you say thousand people have been up like way fewer people have ever done it and it's um you know got all this cool lore around it and you know I agreed like everybody else not to uh touch the top it just I don't know. It's cool. I think if I there's were so to... much, yeah, huh? yeah, there's a lot of culture to it. Um, if if you really care about the height thing, another thing about the mountain is it's far enough away from Everest that it still looks like you're at the tallest thing on the world. You know, it's not like <laughs> yeah. Everest is taunting you from next door, right? Uh, because you can't see it from the the summit. Huh. Yeah, I mean, like if I were gonna take four out of five or one out of five odds of dying in some way, and I felt the need to play those odds, then yeah. <laughs> I'd choose Kanchenjunga. I totally agree. And um, th- by the way, at this point in the series, I have to say that personally, this is my favorite mountain. It is one of my life dreams to see it someday, which mm-hmm. actually seems unattainable sometimes. I'm like, I don't, that may never happen because... I don't speak Hindi and I don't, I don't know my way around over there. It's in a remote spot. That's hard to get to, but I hope someday I have the chance to see it. Maybe I'll make a friend who's like a crazy mountain climber and he can show me the way to go view it. 
Well, let me let me raise your spirits a little bit, because in my research of Nepal, I found out that um, Nepal is actually kind of like Guatemala in the sense that there's a lot of small, like, um, ethno-linguistic groups. So there's, you know, dozens of languages that are spoken oh, that's in Nepal. Cool. Yeah. But as a result, they kind of need a lingua franca. And so there is there are um, like Nepalese languages and stuff that people use. Um, Hindi is spoken in variants of other, you know, like Bangladeshi languages, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But um, in business and in the law and stuff, there's a there's actually English is pretty widely spoken in Nepal. Oh, OK. And so you might be surprised how Maybe easily that could happen. happen. Yeah. You I don't find think, people uh, to communicate with. Yeah, and I don't think tourism to Nepal is that rare. I think there's enough people nope. going as tourists that yep. might be very doable. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. people obviously fly, you fly into Kathmandu to climb Everest. So they, yeah. there's lots of people flying in. There's actually there's something else that I found out in my research. They're actually building two additional um, airports in Nepal in order to, because like the the airport in um Kathmandu is so um can be overrun at times with you know foreigners oh, okay. coming to hike huh. um Everest that's kind of what that airport sort of exists that's for what at this it's point. For. <laughs> and they're they're going to build actually two others there's there's um yeah there's there's need for it so i i do not think you should you should um give up on going to see Kanchenjunga in in real life i think you could definitely pull that off that is definitely raising my spirits. Uh, I was thinking, because when I look at these photos, and you know, a photo's not going to do it justice the same way as looking at it, but I'm like, the only thing I've ever seen that's even close to this height is half of this height, right. <laughs> which are the mountains of Utah. It's like, that is literally half as tall as what yeah. we're talking about in the Himalayas. And so just the idea that something would take up that much of the sky, I think is really stunning. And I would like to see it someday. For sure. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can catch us on Instagram at race and Tyler talk Wikipedia or on Twitter at race and Tyler pod. We'll see you next time.